0: one basic hip Welcome to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you're always up to date. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of great jazz links. This week's guest is composer and trombonist Rick Parker. His new album is Finding Space. From that album, here's the opening track, McKibben. My guest is trombonist Rick Parker. He's got a new album out, which is called Finding Space. That's also the name of a suite that appears on the album. It's by his band, the Rick Parker Collective, which has been receiving uh, rave reviews all over the place, including at one of my other web homes, All About Jazz, where it was named one of the top CD picks for 2006 by uh, the publisher of All About Jazz, Michael Ritchie. Rick, welcome to the show. Hi,
1: Jason. Thanks for having me on.
0: My pleasure, man. Uh, let's uh, let's start right off with this record. Uh, this is your second record at uh, follows up on uh, New York Gravity, which was released in 2004, Fresh Sound, New Talent. And this one, I just want to start off by uh, asking, as far as I can tell on the back, this is a, a self-produced album? Is that the case? It
1: is. Uh, it's pretty much self-produced. I, um, I had the option of doing a second one with Fresh Sound, New Talent. And um, I kind of decided because of the... I guess, the um, limited publicity that Fresh Sound does and the limited distribution that they do that I, um, you know, and I felt really strong about this project, that I, I wanted people to hear it. And so I was like, if I'm going to, you know, put all this effort into it and money, then um, I'm going to keep it under my own name. So actually, it's on WJF Records, which is, stands for Williamsburg Jazz Festival Records. And um Williamsburg Jazz Festival is actually a festival here in Brooklyn that I co produce with uh, Jesse Selenga, who is a trumpet player. And uh, the story is, like, right, uh, right around September when we were having the festival, both of us were coming out with CDs. And I said, hey, you know, we should um, try to start this up as sort of like an artist collective and uh, put our two CDs out together and then maybe in the future try to get some more people on board, kind of like, um, there are a few record labels that do it, like Skerl Records, which is a little bit more of an avant-garde label. So um, that's basically how the record label that we're pretensing it on uh, came to be. But um, yeah, basically it's self-produced when it comes down
0: to it. Do you have a plan with uh, the Williamsburg Jazz Festival to maybe put out recordings of some live shows from the festival, or...?
1: Um, not necessarily from the festival, because just because of the venues that we're playing at aren't necessarily the most conducive to live recording. Mm-hmm. Although, in the future, that might be something that we do. And actually, Jesse recorded one of his shows. Um, he did a show at Tonic um, to cap off the festival, and uh, he got a really good recording out of that. And so he's definitely been thinking of releasing that also on the WJF label and then we might get you know some other people from the neighborhood involved and get some more artists on board and that way kind of get a collective uh thing going on where hopefully we can garner some more
0: attention just to stick on the on the business side for a minute it's one of the things that seems to be fascinating because I'm I don't know, did you, as you were going, uh, kind of learning to play the the trombone and then getting started in jazz and then getting gigs, did you think, well, and someday I'm also going to have to be a record producer and make sure I have a good website and do my own publicity? Or has that uh, kind of been a, a surprise to you that that was a piece of your career that you needed to get to be an expert at, not just your trombone?
1: Yeah, I mean, really, not at all. That's And that's not something that I really wanted to do. But, you know, as they say, necessity is a mother. And you know it it that's just how it happened. I mean that's how I started the band was I moved to New York um I mean it's funny also talking about the business stuff because I was an economics major um I went to Georgetown and uh I was really playing more music while I was there, but I was an econ major, and so like that whole business thing has definitely been a part of my life in some respect but um moving up to new york i like I got here and I was like, oh, you know I'll, I'm, i I'm." Sound pretty good. I'll be able to start getting some gigs, and you know, after a couple months, the phone was not ringing. You know, and nobody really knew who I was and everything. So I start, and I had this music that I was working on, and so I just started my own band. I was like, I gotta, I gotta do it myself. And then, um, I mean, that's kind of the way it is, especially for jazz these days. You know, it's. uh, I think jazz only makes up what like two percent, or maybe less than that, of the record buying of the uh, records sold in the U.S. So really, if you want to do it, you've got to, for the most part, you've really got to do it yourself and just really push hard and push, you know, constantly. So um, that's not something that I really wanted to have to do because it does take, you know, my time away from being a musician. And a lot of times when I'm involved in the business end of things, it's like I don't feel like a musician at all. I'm just, like, on the phone or, you know, writing up things and sending mailings out. And it's, it's not a... It's not inspiring musically.
0: Although I guess the alternative of writing all this music and never having anyone play it or hear it is probably even less inspiring. Exactly, (laughs)
1: exactly. I mean, and that's why I did it on my own, this one on my own, because, I mean, uh, you know, as much as I love Fresh Sound and the records they they produce are just great and they have some great musicians on there, their distribution is so limited, they don't have, they're not even on iTunes. And, um... I mean, the digital distribution thing is really starting to blow up, and it makes it a lot easier as an independent musician to get your music out there. I'm, I'm actually probably getting more sales on um, iTunes than I am, like, physical sales. So that really makes a big deal. And then part of the other thing that kind of uh, inspired me to go on my own was that Maurice Brown, the uh, trumpet player on my CD, and he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for a while. He, um, he put out a CD a couple years ago, Um, On his own, on his own label, it's called Hip to Bop. And uh, it's a great CD, and he's been just rolling with it for quite a while, and he's sold, I don't know, he's sold a lot of copies and gotten a lot of press from it, a lot of gigs. And um, it's really facilitated his whole career, and it's like he's putting the effort into it, and he's getting the returns. And, I mean, in the end, I mean, that's really how it should be. If you put something out and you put a lot of work into it, you want to see the return, so... This way, I know what's going on, and uh, you know it's under my control whether or not it happens or not.
0: before we dig into talking about the music let's just fill in some biographical details uh where did you grow up
1: i uh i was born in new york city and then when i was about five my parents moved out to greenwich connecticut which is just a suburb it's like uh, about 45 minutes outside of the city my dad's worked in the city ever since then and um Went to Greenwich High School, and I started playing trombone. I was about in sixth grade, and then, um, but really, I was I was actually more of like an athlete. I played a lot of basketball and stuff, and probably wasn't until like halfway through high school that I um, really started to get more serious about music. I always enjoyed playing it, but then as things developed, I just started enjoying more and more. And as I got exposed to more music, I started just really focusing on that.
0: Was there something in particular that that grabbed you?
1: Well, when I um, when I was going into my freshman year of high school, I um, I convinced my parents that I needed to have my own trombone and buy my own trombone. So we went into the city and uh, we went around Forty Eighth Street, which is where there's a bunch of um, music stores. And I did, I got a trombone and I had some um, help from a student at the high school who was. Uh, I think he was a graduating senior, and so he helped me out, you know, finding out what trombones to play. But then also he told me, you know, you should, you know, have you checked out anything trombone-wise? Like, have you listened to any trombone players? And I, I really didn't know anyone. And uh, he's, so he let me hear some J.J. Johnson over the phone, and that kind of blew my mind. And so after we bought the trombone, we went down to um, one of the CD stores, and I just picked up, bought one CD, and it was uh, the eminent J.J. J. Johnson, Volume Two, which.
0: Uh, Not a I, bad place to start.
1: Yeah, and I'm really I'm kind of grateful that I had such like a pure, wonderful beginning to the music. Because honestly, I didn't I didn't I don't think I bought another CD. That was in September, and I didn't get another CD until Christmas that year when my mom bought me Blue Train, John Train. So. I wore those CDs. I just listened to them constantly. And, uh, you know, I can sing every single solo. And so they were, those were my first two major influences. And really on Blue Train, my influence wasn't so much Curtis Fuller. My attention wasn't there. Um, even though as a trombone player, I was just listening to Train. And I was just really enthralled with his, his sound and, and just everything about him and, and the passion. And so that's kind of always stuck with me. I, you know, I've, been a trombone player, but that that intensity and um, just the way John Coltrane plays has really been like one of the bigger influences on me.
0: What caused you to choose the trombone in the first place?
1: Um, another very funny story and a totally unmusical reason. I, um, as I said, I was a big basketball fan and basketball player, and um, my father and I, My father went to Georgetown also, and. We would watch basketball games all the time. And then when it came time in uh, sixth grade to choose an instrument, I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to play. I don't know what any instrument sounds like. I had no idea. My parents, really not a musical family at all. And um, I was just looking at the the pep band, you know, playing at the basketball games. And there in the front row was this instrument, you know, with this slide. And I was like, Dad, what's that? And said, so, that's a trombone. I was like, all right, I guess I'll try to play that. That's how it came to be
0: <laughs> well, they're going to have to rewrite that part for the movie, i think
1: yeah there, there needs to be a much more dramatic story i don't know <laughs> I, I had I had a vision
0: I was saved from drowning by a guy with a trombone
1: exactly so
0: uh <laughs> so you kind of get grabbed more by it in high school, decide to become more serious about it, but even then when you go to college, you choose economics as your field of study how come
1: right i um I mean that's again the uh, just. It was like, I can play music and I can, you know, do that on the side. It still wasn't, like, my goal to be a musician. And I, um, about a month or two in at Georgetown, which is in Washington, D.C., I was just, I met this uh, guy who was a guitarist, and he was, he was really great. He was in the same kind of situation that I was. Um, he was in the business school at Georgetown, but he was an all-state guitarist from New Jersey. And he sounded great, and we would just, we would play duo together all the time. And, uh, we went down to, um, a Starbucks. We were just bumming around in, uh, in Georgetown, and there was this, uh, trumpet player playing with a quartet. And actually, what had happened, we had just finished seeing, uh, we were at Blues Valley, and we had just finished seeing, uh, a Joshua Redmond show there, and, uh, Brian Blade was playing with him. And then afterwards, we went by, went to the Starbucks to get, some coffee, and uh, we were listening to this quartet play, and then who walks in but Brian Blade, and apparently he was a friend of them, and he was sitting sitting in with them. Um, so anyway, after after all that, I went up to the uh, the trumpet player, and I was just talking, and I was like, yeah, would it be okay if we came by sometime and sit in? And he said, oh, what do you play? And I said, trombone. And he said, oh, can you read? And well, that's one thing that I could definitely do, because <laughs> the uh, high school big band that I played in was really a monster of a band, and we had a lot of difficult music. And I said yes, and he was like, I have a big band that I just started, and we're playing every week at the One Step Down, which is one of the oldest uh, jazz clubs. It's now defunct, but uh, it was one of the oldest jazz clubs in the U.S. And um, so I joined this, uh, this trumpet player's big band. His name is Thad Wilson, and he it's um, almost all original music, and just great music, and he had really, the top improvisers in D.C. were playing in that band for quite some time. And there'd be a lot of like uh, pretty well-known people coming through, too. Um, that's where I met Frank Lacey. He sat in with the band one time. Steve Williams, the drummer for Shirley Horn, was there, um, and some great D.C. local musicians, and then also Andrew White, the you know great saxophonist who transcribed all those. John Coltrane solos he was there pretty much every night not playing but just holding court and everyone would listen to him you know preaching about music and everything so that was a really great experience and that kind of that's really what made me want to play music and really just you know I, that that desire was always there but that kind of facilitated everything I was surrounded by these great musicians and uh that was my music school
0: so when you left Georgetown, did you move straight to New York City and try to make a go of it?
1: Yeah, the, uh, uh, the deal was that I finished my econ degree, and then um, my parents would help me out and, uh, you know, let me go to music school. So I ended up moving up to uh, New York, and uh, I went to NYU and got a, did two years there and got my master's in music.
0: ¶¶ So during that time, as you said, the the phone wasn't really ringing off the hook as you thought it might be. This is when you began to assemble uh, what would become the collective, right?
1: And uh, I'd, I'd written some music before um, I moved up there. It was just starting. Like Sad, he encouraged me to uh, write a lot of music when I was down in D.C. He um, he helped me form a group down there. And I, in addition to playing in his band, I just would hang out with him a lot. And so I really learned a lot about how to run a band and how to just how to do everything that's not necessarily playing music but that's really a part of putting music together and um he, i wrote some pieces for his big band and he would you know give me a lot of advice on that so i had that that was already like that had started happening and then um in nyu i met uh, a saxophonist harris awanu who um he plays on the first CD, and uh, a couple other people that I knew from D.C. had moved up here at the same time. Um, Andrew Haskell, the pianist on the first CD, Near York Gravity. I played with him when he was down in D.C. also. He was in high school, and he would moved up to the new school. And then uh, also bassist Matt Grayson, who's on the CD, he moved up to New York the same time as me. And uh, he introduced me to, um, to the drummer, Kyle Struve, who's on both CDs. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And I had, um, when I was at NYU, I was studying with Conrad Herwig. And, you know, we would, uh, the lessons that we were doing were really not, they were more like just really extended hangs. I would go over there up to his house in, uh, Brewster, which is about an hour, 15 minutes north of New York City. And I'd get there in the morning, we'd have some coffee and, you know, talk, listen to music. So one day I brought by a, uh, a demo CD that I'd been shopping and, you know, he heard it and he liked it and he was like, yeah, you really need to just go in there and you need to record a CD. You've got, you've got the whole concept there. you got to go do it. So that's really what I did and that's how the first CD came about. It was uh, really from his, you know, inspiring me to do that.
0: And did you send your demo to Fresh Sound and suggest that they let Actually, you
1: record uh, I did send my um, the demo to Fresh Sound the first time. I sent it once, and they I uh, never heard anything back. And then I actually put out the CD on my own, and I had it out for about, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. And then we had just started to get some more, some better gigs, did a couple of gigs at Blues Alley down in D.C. in a uh, jazz festival, the Somers Point Jazz Festival. And I had some mini-disc recordings, and I had a lot more music. And um, so I sent the the CD along with uh, a, my a mini disc recordings that I'd done, and I sent those to Fresh Sound again. I sent them to a couple other places too. And then um, just one yeah. more one morning, like around God, it was like 7:30 in the morning, and I was fast asleep. My phone rang, and it was Jordy from uh, the owner of Fresh Sound calling me from Spain. And uh, saying that he wanted to, the initial idea was to put out the uh, the CD, New York Gravity, and then about a year later release a new CD, which is the one that I ended up recording on my own. And um, so basically I put New York Gravity out with fresh sound and then kind of uh, decided after a while that it just wasn't going to work for me
0: one of the things uh before you were getting accolades for this new CD you were also winning awards for composition including the ASCAP Young Jazz Composer Award uh, just a few years ago uh, tell folks a little bit about what that is and uh what piece you submitted to the competition
1: uh the ASCAP Young Jazz Composer Award is it's a uh, an annual award they give to musicians under 30 um 30 years old and basically what it is they they award think about 20 musicians get an award every year and I, I think they have it split up by age ranges or I'm not exactly sure how they do that but um, I ended up I submitted the second tune on my CD Nervous Energy Um, and I had actually submitted something the year before too, and didn't get anything. And um, I wrote this, and I uh, sent it in, and I kind of actually had a really good feeling about it when I sent it in. But that, it's a nice—it's definitely a nice award. It's nice to be honored there. And there were a lot of—I mean, it's just so many great musicians were in there. Uh, Maurice had gotten an award also. Julian Shaw, who's also on the new CD, he got an award the same year. And so it's a uh, it's a good little thing, and it definitely recognizes, um, you know, some musicians who are doing some interesting stuff compositionally.
0: So let's talk about uh, the collective. Uh, you've already mentioned Maurice Brown, who's on trumpet; Jaleel Shaw, a uh, trumpet and flugelhorn; Jaleel Shaw, who's on uh, alto saxophone, and Kyle Struve, who's on drums. Just round out the band for us.
1: And then on, um, on uh, tenor and soprano saxophones, it's Xavier Perez, who is. Um, He's a Cuban saxophonist. He's actually but Miami Cuban. And uh, he moved up here. We actually met at the Betty Carter Jazz Ahead Program, which is a program in um, that's run by the Kennedy Center. And uh, he's just a great musician. We had a connection when we met down there. We played together a lot. And um, it was just an instant bond that we had you know, sonically with our sounds. And then um, on piano and uh some keyboards is Sam Barsh, who uh, I also met at the Betty Carter Jazz Ahead um, program in D.C., and um, he's, he's a great pianist. He also, he, he's made a lot of noise with his uh, playing with Abishai Cohen, the bassist, and then um, Gavin Fallow is the bass player, who um, I also met in D.C. and had, the, uh, had my first group with um, along with Thad Wilson and Andrew Haskell from my first CD. And Gavin moved uh, up to New York a little before I did the CD, and I'd always wanted to be playing with him. And it was, uh, it was great that he finally moved up and we were able to reconnect.
0: Every composition on this CD, except the final one, was written by you. The last one, Euro Ring, was written by uh, the drummer Kyle Struve. How long did it take you to write the music uh, that appears on Finding Space?
1: Well, all the music really, it just... Uh, it was created over a period of time. Just, it wasn't necessarily meant to be, I I didn't write it for this CD. It's just, I just kind of write and like everything I write is kind of inspired by a, um, a person or something that happens to me. I kind of, I never really write for the sake of writing. And, um, I think that's kind of way the reason why some of my music comes out the way it does. Um, like the first track, McKibben, is the name of the uh, street that I lived in when I moved to Brooklyn. And I, I had shared a uh, a loft space with Sam Barsh and Kyle Strew, the pianist and drummer on the CD. And so that's like about that. And everything kind of just came out organically. Um, I don't try to force things. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have any sort of time frame about how I would write this stuff. And I tend to take a long time, too, because... I'll write something and I just, I hear something in my head and I want to get it down on paper as fast as I can. And then I sit with it and I, I toy with things. I, you know, I change things around. I might, I might take a note that's in the melody and I might try to extend it and see how it feels when I extend it and then maybe shorten it, see how that feels. And, um, so it kind of, I kind of just go with things until they feel good. And then all this music, I mean, yeah. I had the benefit of having a band, and we you know we played this music a lot before we recorded it, so it really felt comfortable no one nobody was sight reading or anything on the session. It was definitely like you know people playing confidently and playing really trying to make music out of it
0: and that's so evident because this music is not uh, just you know heads and then everybody blows and then we play the head again and out this is music with a lot of shifting tempos uh you know a piece that sounds like one kind of piece at the beginning and a totally different kind of piece at the end and it's it's just clear that the folks who are playing on this record have played this music before or it probably wouldn't be possible to hang with it all the way through i'm guessing
1: yeah uh definitely when uh whenever someone can't do a gig it can it can definitely be difficult to get things together um I mean and it's great cuz Kyle for instance he uh you know he's been playing with me since the first CD and since I moved up to New York in uh 2001 and you know so we've been playing together it's you know 2007 now almost 6 years and he never needs music on a gig and it's really complicated stuff and it, you know it makes sense but initially you kind of have to like get into the, the uh I guess my concepts and how the melodies work otherwise when you're reading the music it it actually looks a lot more complicated than it is and same thing with you know Xavier we just we just connected immediately and he he knows what's going on and um Sam his time with Avishai Cohen he just uh Avishai never it's interesting cuz we we lived together and right about that time was when Avishai was forming the trio that Sam and um, the drummer Mark Giuliano played in for the past uh, two or three years, and they would actually rehearse at our apartment. And so, and obviously I never wrote down the music, he would always teach it to them by ear. So, Sam has a really uncanny way of learning music where he's a fantastic reader, but once he's got that down, he can just put the paper aside and really go with it.
0: When you are uh, playing this music live, does it tend to be even more. Extended than we hear on the record many of these tunes are seven, eight, nine minutes in length, or are these things pretty uh, composed with a with a pretty set framework?
1: Um, some of the things do get a little extended, but um, definitely the focus on the CD I mean one, it's definitely about compositions. you know I do I consider myself like a musician and composer and then maybe trombone player. I don't like think of myself as a trombone player per se I just want to be a musician and as such like I go with the 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 compositions themselves and when we um when we perform them I I kind of uh it's the same thing really when I when I did this record unlike the first record I actually really tried to let people stretch out and make it feel as organic as possible and as much like a live show as possible because I felt like every person had a lot to say and something valuable to say on the songs. And um, so I wanted to make sure that happened. I didn't want it to be just kind of like composition, you know, very intricate composition and then short solo and then very... Because that doesn't... That's really not what the music's about. It's about a melody and a a tune and then the solo is really part of that and it's part of the, the pacing of the music. And so I tried to... Get it close to that now, when we do play live, it even gets longer and longer because people are developing more and more stuff to say but
0: <laughs> we talk about uh, this album is anchored by the the three part suite called Finding Space, and uh, you mentioned in the liner notes and and elsewhere on your website and you did mentioned just now that many of these uh, tunes are have a have a backstory to them, so take us to the the DVD extras on uh, on finding space. <laughs>
1: Space itself. I uh, when I first moved to New York and I was going to NYU, I was living in this really, really tiny studio, which was just. I mean, it was so tiny, and um, I, it was in the West Village. And I would uh, I would have to leave the, the space a lot because I just couldn't deal with being inside it. And I'm not the neatest person in the world, so it made it even more cluttered. So. The beginning of finding space is that it's about, it's kind of about bouncing off the walls and just feeling like trapped and you're just, you're just going and, uh, in all these different directions. And mm-hmm. then, um, later on it, it goes to this, the middle portion of the song, which is, um, a solo piano piece. And that's more about finding the tranquility and finding like a, a center of where you can just be. You know, be yourself and be calm, and everything. And then um, the final piece, which there's no solos on. It's just it's just written, and um, that's kind of meant to be kind of like the triumphant feeling of getting through, and you know, overcoming the obstacle of the small spaces that you deal with, you know, in New York City.
0: What's coming up for uh, you and the band? Well,
1: we're doing. Uh, we have a few shows. And some other cities. We're going down to um, Chris's Jazz Cafe in Philadelphia, and then probably going to do another show down in D.C. Um, at Bohemian Caverns, and then maybe something in in uh, Baltimore. Um, most of that's in June, uh, sorry, in July. And then uh, we've got a few shows. We're playing at Bowery Poetry Club coming up at the end of May, and then. Um, a festival called the Elasticity Festival, which uh, is in Brooklyn. And that's going to be in July.
0: And then, will, when does the uh, Williamsburg Jazz Festival take place?
1: Williamsburg Jazz Festival is uh, usually takes place in the tail end of September. Last year, we did um, we did eight nights, and we had I think we had over twenty bands. Um, this year, we're going to scale back a little bit due to. Um, financial issues that we ran into last year. But uh we're gonna to try to keep things going with that.
0: Folks should also check out RickParker.net, which in addition to having a ton of information about Rick and his music is also really well designed. So uh it's mm-hmm. nice nice to see jazz artist website design that does not look like it was done in nineteen ninety two. So uh <laughs> folks should head over there and of course we'll have a link at thejazzsession.com well Rick uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show it's been a lot of fun talking to you Uh, the album Finding Space is uh, absolutely worth multiple listens uh, from anyone who's checking out this show and uh, appreciate you coming on and wish you all the best in the future
1: great thanks Jason thanks for having me
0: That's Rick Parker from his new album Finding Space. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes. Please take a minute and subscribe so you've always got the latest episode. You can also listen at thejazzsession.com. In addition to episodes of the show, thejazzsession.com features written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of jazz links. The site also features a link to the Jazz Session Cause of the Month, This month, it's the Music Maker Relief Foundation. Please click the link and give them some money. Thanks. For more interviews and reviews, you can visit allaboutjazz.com, the world's largest jazz website. You'll find my writing there beside that of many other jazz experts and fans. You can always contact me, and I welcome your contact. You can send me an email to jason at session.com, or you can call the show at 585-473-5304. The Jazz Session also has a mailing list available at thejazzsession.com. It gives you periodic updates about the guests who appear on the show and some other news from the world of Jason Crane, and no spam, guaranteed. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session's logo. Thanks very much for listening. Remember to support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session.